this 
um, that there are hearts right now that just we desperately need you. Anxiety's up, fears up, divisiveness is up. God, I pray that we would be a people who would look at the glory being yours, the focus being on you, and our desire to understanding your will, your way for what happens next, for what happens now. All glory, Father, to you alone. To your Son who gave it all. We sing this prayer right now. In the name of your Son, Jesus.
our Father, amen. Father, this is this our, our anthem. This right now is our anthem. We sing these words. And I pray right now that we're not just stagnant here. A challenge right now, Father, I pray every heart right now is able to see the beauty in your majesty. That we didn't come here on a Sunday morning in the midst of a pandemic to sit here and just be stagnant. God, I pray that it would be our desire that these words would flow from our heart, that our bodies would just chase, would reach out for you right now. There would be an excitement, a passion in this place that we, we, can't, we can't explain. But we do know, God, that we get the opportunity right now to praise you, to worship you, to sing out an anthem, our anthem, to a Savior who has picked us up more times than, than we can remember. So we sing this anthem to you right now, Father. And I pray that our hearts are set right before you. Father, we love you. In your son's beautiful name. Amen.
out for yours. That would be our desire right now, Father. This is tough. This is a tough thing to pray. But in the areas of our lives, If you have your Bibles, let's open them up. Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, Hebrews 11. We have arrived at Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, I feel like we should have gotten cupcakes or something. Uh, but Chris said, no, I don't want us to have fun at church, so nobody gets cupcakes today. Um, that, at least that's the way I remember this fake conversation going. And so, um, so, so what we're doing, once we've made it to chapter 11, we've arrived at, at the last section of uh, this incredible letter. And, uh, and we need really to, to appreciate 11, 12, and 13. We have, to, uh, we have to see why it's here. And we have to understand uh, what it has to do with your life. And, and now, if you will, I, I know I told you to go to chapter 11, but, but run a couple verses back into chapter 10. Uh, in fact, 1034 uh, and, and you may remember, we, we talked about this last week, but there's a description of what was happening uh, to some of the Christians as we're being encouraged to have confidence. In fact, uh, in fact, the, if you remember, there were some Christians who were imprisoned, and then there were some who made the hard decision to identify with those Christians who have been persecuted and were in in prison, and, uh, and they risk their property, and they risk their lives. In fact, it, it puts it like this. Uh, For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew, okay, and this is, what, this is why you're able to do that, 
since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. And, and so, so this is the kind of life the whole book of Hebrews is aiming to produce. A, a life that looks at the high price of love, the, so, so just the, the seizure of property or, or perhaps um, some other kind of abuse or calamity, and then accepts that possibility joyfully and does what love demands no matter what. Uh, and, and so that's, that's the life that Hebrews is, is aiming at, that all the glorious truths that we've seen uh, brought, made evident in these pages about Jesus, that, that we would see him giving himself once and for all for the sacrifice of our sins, that we would see how he perfects us all time uh, by his single offering, that we would uh, understand how he, he cleanses our consciousness by uh, his blood, that, that we would understand that we have a very sympathetic uh, great high priest for, that goes before God, that, that Jesus intercedes for us day in and day out in heaven, that, that, that we would understand how Jesus puts his law in our minds and writes them on our hearts, that, that we would understand that as we get, because of Jesus, as we walk into the throne room of God, that we would understand when he looks at us, he remembers our sins no more, that, that we would know that we get to live each and every moment, if you are found in Christ, you get to live each and every moment for the rest of your days while you're breathing on this earth, knowing that God will never leave you or forsake you. That these are these great truths that, that Hebrews brings to mind. And, and all this uh, is what we've been reveling in uh, for 20 weeks as we walk through this, this letter together. And, and it's just... It's aimed practically at making us into this kind of people. And that we would be people who, because of Jesus, were willing to risk property and life in order um, to bring the love of God to others. And so that we are people who would not look for, for comforts and ease and security as, as necessary things in life. That we would be uh, people who are free from this American assumption of, of style and safety and wealth and leisure, that, that we would be people who know that there is one life to live. And that in that one life, uh, only what is done in the name of Jesus and for the eternal good of others will end up counting in the end. And so, so, so what makes verse 34 so clear is that the way such a life comes about is an unshakable hope in God. It's an unshakable hope that, that you can joyfully accept the plundering of your property since you know that you yourselves have a better possession and an abiding one, that, that the power to be joyfully sacrificial in, in, in the path of love is knowing that you have a better possession uh, beyond the grave. That, that if, if, and now, if you don't live by this great confidence, you will continually be thinking about how much you're losing every time you try to make a sacrifice for others. You'll, you'll constantly try to say, well, in all areas of my life, there should be a balance sheet. Uh, and what I would prefer is that uh, everybody that I do good to, they would do good for me in return. And then uh, everybody that I do bad to, that they would just not do anything bad to me in return. That's the way 
that equation kind of plays itself out. And, and so, so this whole book is written as a foundation to the hope of a radical, risk-taking, sacrificial love by seeing Jesus more clearly. And so, so uh, what more really can the writer say that he hasn't already said to help us have uh, this hope so that we can live out this radical love? And, and what chapter 11 begins to do is answer that question. What more can he do? And he says, okay, in, in case you still need some additional help for this, um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to start giving you some examples of people who have laid hold on the future reward of joy with God in such a way that it makes a great difference in their lives and then in other people's lives, both for here and now. That's what chapter 11 is. It's, it's meant to deepen our confidence in God's promise so that you turn from the fleeting pleasures of sin, which is what we've been talking about lately, uh, and, and live out the radical kind of love that comes from having your hope found in God. And so, so as we do this, I, I kind of went back and forth on what would be the best way to kind of approach chapter 11, because there's really no way to do it in just one setting. Uh, and so um, we, we went through a couple of different layouts, and, and the one we're settling on um, is really just my best guess on how to teach this, this chapter. Uh, and, and so what we're going to do is we're going to work on building a pad uh, this week by traveling just through the first three verses. Uh, and then uh, next week we're going to see these case studies kind of played out in the words of the writer. Uh, and as we try to draw our attention of our faith in God, now if you want to get a better kind of head start on that, uh, on, on where we go in chapter 11 because it's, it's typically dubbed the Faith Hall of Fame. Uh, and so if you want to kind of get a good idea for the people we'll be referring to next week, if you'll just read every page of your Old Testament, um, you'll be caught up. Does that sound fair? Uh, just all of it. It's only like two-thirds of your Bible. You can do it. Um, and so, so, so what we're going to do, chapter 11 opens with a definition of what faith is, and then what it does is it quickly kind of turns to a description of what faith does and, and how faith works. And so, and I think one of the greatest misunderstandings when we use this word faith uh, is is how easily faith gets confused with wishful thinking. Okay, so so if if you cross your fingers while saying, "Gosh, I hope God comes through." Okay, what, what I want you to know is that's not biblical faith, that is wishful thinking. And, and these verses are going to be very helpful. In fact, these next three chapters are going to be very helpful uh, towards you because faith is not wishful thinking, even though we're going to see uh, the word hope being involved. Uh, faith is not even necessarily choosing uh, for blind optimism or, or manufactured hoping. It's, it's not believing in spite of evidence, because that would simply be uh, superstition. And, and so, so all these things I've, I've seen played out in the lives of, of fellow believers, and this is why my hope and our prayer are that, uh, that, that our views here will be shaped by the words that we read, not by the thoughts that we have. Okay, And then especially not based on what we want them to say when it comes to, to, to faith. And so... Uh, this chapter, again, it begins with this definition that links with it hope, uh, and then it goes on to show uh, how this hope gave power 
for all kinds of radical obedience. And that's where we'll be again next week. So, so let's, let's start in verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 1, okay? And now I don't really even have blanks for you today, uh, but, but here's what I would like you to do in your talk notes, okay? This is the way I try to read my Bible, and it helps me be a little bit more active when I'm getting in some verses. So I'd like you to, to take a square and write, now faith, okay? I'd like you to square around those two words, now faith, okay? So this is, this is what we're talking about. Now faith is... And then circle this, these next two words. The assurance of things hoped for. And then underline these next, or circle these next two words. The conviction of things not seen. Okay? So now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. Now, now for by it, people of old received their commendation. And that's what we'll get into next week. What is that commendation? So, so by faith, we, and then you can circle the, these two words, we understand that the universe was created, that underline these next few words, by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Okay, we'll, we'll unpack all these verses here. Okay, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So the first task we have in this new chapter is to understand more exactly what faith is. Because it's going to be a major player. So, so what does the writer want us to understand about faith? Lest we all have different definitions of, of what it means. And so that's what verse 1 gives us. It's a twofold definition of faith. And so let's, let's look at the parts. That, that on one, we have now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. And then number two, the conviction of things not seen. The conviction of things not seen. So, so there's more here than meets the eye. That the word for assurance uh, is in the first definition, and the word for conviction in the second definition, from what I gather... Uh, based on the commentaries that I read, uh, is a, uh, a pretty difficult word and an unusual word to translate into English. Uh, for instance, if, if you grew up in the church, or perhaps if you grew up in a, uh, with a King James Version Bible, um, you may remember it says that, this, that, that faith is the, the substance of things hoped for and the evidence uh, of things not seen. It's the substance and... And the evidence. So, so these words, substance and evidence, are in fact very serious and they're very important words to translate. And so, so, so maybe a better way to start this is asking yourself this question. Do you have faith? So, so, so if you have faith, how do you, how do you know that you have faith? So, so by your definition, what is faith so that you can know that that you have it. And so, so what hangs on whether or not you have faith? And so hopefully you can see that this question that we're asking here uh, and the topic that he's bringing up is very, uh, it's immensely important uh, and it's immensely relevant to our lives. And so, so as we do this, let's, let's, let's take this definition, but let's start with the second part first, okay? Because that's where we're going to spend a bulk of our time. And then we'll, we'll come to the first one. And, and so... So, so faith is 
the conviction or, or the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the conviction or the evidence of things not seen. So this, this word here, is, apparently it's not used anywhere else in the New Testament, but in this specific setting. So, so outside of the New Testament, uh, this word that's used, it's, it's used for, um, for proof or, or to make an argument about something that's objective about the world rather than something that is subjective about how we feel about the world. So we need to have something that we say, okay, this is, this is subjective to a truth that is not, I'm sorry, this is something objective to a truth not subjective to how I feel. Because let's be honest, how we feel at times can be very misleading to what we actually believe and what we actually think. And so, so what we're finding right here with this word is we're getting grounded that your faith can ground you regardless of the circumstances of your life. You with? Make sense? All right, Jessica's with. Everybody else, you're kind of border. All right, I'm going to just go right here for a little bit. All right? So, so, so what about the meaning here in verse 1? That most translators um, don't use the old word, uh, proof or evidence, because it, it doesn't seem to make sense for them. How can faith be evidence or, or proof that, that really the argument gets created? Doesn't faith need evidence. And this is why verse 3 is helpful to us because it supports an illustration that the presence of faith serves as the evidence of true faith. So, so verse 3 is directly related to this definition. All right? So, so, so if, the, if the definition is that we're talking about faith being the evidence of things not seen, it says that by faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God so that what is seen was ma- not made out of things which are visible. So, so there's a connection here. That Verse 1 says faith is the evidence of things not seen. And verse 3 says that faith understands that the world, which it, what is seen, was made out of something that was not seen, being the very Word of God. So, so verse 3 is a specific illustration of the definition of of what faith says in, in verse 1b. Okay, so, so, so here's, here's the question. How do we know that God made the world out of nothing that is seen? Like, how, how do we know that God spoke creation into existence? Because not, not only were we not there when it happened, right? But even if we were, uh, there would not have been, we would not have been able to see the act of creation, because you can't see the word spoken by God. So, so how can we know, or how can we understand that the universe was made by the word of God? How can we know that what is seen was made out of things invisible? And, and what verse 3 answers here is by faith. This is by faith, that by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God. So, so if faith is the evidence of things not seen, then it might make sense to say that by faith or by evidence, we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God. Now that's incredibly important. Because if God isn't the creator of all things, then He doesn't rule over all things for all time. Okay, So He brings us back to this foundational level that, that when God speaks 
creation into being, it's because He is sovereign over all of those things. And so, so the crucial question is, is how is faith evidence of things unseen? Namely, that God created the world by His Word. So we can go, we don't have to turn there, I'll just read it to you. But Romans chapter 1, verse 20 can be a great service to us. As it says, that since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes, His, His eternal power, His divine nature, have been clearly seen being understood by what has been made. So that same word, understood, is the same word here in verse 1 for understand. Or I'm sorry, in verse 3 for understand. So, so here's, here's what I make of it. That, that faith, at least in part, is the spiritual seeing or perceiving of the fingerprints of God on the things that He has made. And some of those things are really easy to see. Some of them are really easy. You can, you can see a sunset, you can see a mountaintop, you can see a baby, and you're like, God made that. It's undeniable. Now, when that baby turns into a toddler, you're like, apparently Satan made that. I don't know. Um, but you can see the fingerprints of God, that those fingerprints are the order and the beauty and, and the greatness and their evidence that God made the world. But, but, but so is, um, and I think what, when we talk about by faith, that, that just seeing these fingerprints serve as a kind of evidence. It's, it's just the other side of the same coin. Um, so, so if you ask me this question, how do I know that there's an Ikea in Grand Prairie? I will say to you, I know that there is one because I went there the other day and I got lost in it and it was glorious, right? Uh, so, so the fact that I was there serves as evidence that it still exists there today. And, so, so, and I think that's the way faith kind of works, that it's the evidence at times of things unseen. I don't, I don't see in this very moment the Ikea in Grand Prairie, but I know that it is there because I have experienced it before. So, so, so we look, we all look at these same fingerprints, but, but, but some see and some don't. And that's the issue of faith. That some see and some don't. That, that those who have, who see, they have the evidence. They have the testimony in themselves. And, and so the question is, is how is that possible? How is, that, how is it possible that, that some can see plainly and, and, and some can't? And so, so here's my, this is my best analogy for it. And if it's not good, don't blame me. It's just the limits that I have in my own mind. Okay? Okay, back in the, this is, the only, this is when I became aware of this. Do y'all remember when in the 90s, the, uh, the 3D art, like the, maybe, yes, somebody, I need something. Okay, okay. Troy's like, I'm with you, okay? So, so when I was like 13, 14 years old, someone bought me for my birthday this book of 3D images, okay? And the way it worked was simply this. You would see a picture, and then if you focused correctly, or if you were far enough back, you would see behind the, the superficial image a 3D image. Now, I've never in my life seen the 3D image. Like, never. It doesn't, like, I don't really believe some of the people are like, oh, clearly that's the head of Beethoven, right? No, I don't believe it. I've never really actually seen it, okay? But, but for a while, that was 
Like, you could buy posters, and you could find books, and you could have a shirt that had this 3D, which is weird, because you're like, why are you looking at my belly so much while I'm trying to get that image to come out? And you're like, it's my belly. It's just there. Um, but anyways, so, so at the time, you had two things going on one page. Some could see it, and some couldn't. And for some, the longer they looked at it, the more evident that image became. And you could pick out very special parts of that 3D image. And, and so, so, but it, so if, as you let your eyes focus more di- deeply, the more that it came out. It wasn't just this color. And it wasn't just this chaos. It became something very evident. And this is what the writer says faith is like. It's that that some people can see the creation that God has put into being and all they see is color and chaos. They don't see any fingerprints behind it. But the longer you look and the more diligent you are with your focus, the more those things become apparent. That, that didn't just happen. That something beautiful is behind this. And and so, so you may ask, okay, should that in itself be called faith? Looking at the stars in the sky and saying, okay, somebody placed those. That didn't just happen. Looking at, looking at a child breathing while they sleep, you say, okay, that's not, just, that's not just biology, that God knitted that child in the womb, that he sings over that child, that you get to see those fingerprints. So, so the question is, is, should that be called faith? And Because after all, didn't Paul say in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that, that we walk by faith, not by sight? And so, so how can faith become sight? How can we live in such a way that we say, okay, I don't see exactly what's at play, but I can walk confidently that this will work out, not because I got my fingers crossed, but because God has promised me. That God has promised to walk with me in all these adventures. How can we make our faith sight? And I think we can because it says that faith is the, verse 1, conviction or better, the evidence of things not seen. That he says, the longer you walk, the more this becomes apparent. The more you press into God, the more you see Him at work. Which is why a lot of us become stagnant in our walk with Him. Because we don't look intently. We want to we see things casually. We want to see things easily. We don't want to dive deeper. And so we're left with this struggle of like, well, okay, why does it seem like every day is the same day? It's because we've stopped trying to grow. And so faith is supposed to be this pursuit of growth. In other words, faith is it's, it's not just a responding act of the soul. It, it's also this grasping or this understanding act. It's a, it's a spiritual act that sees the fingerprints of God. And this does not mean uh, that you believe them into being, because that would be, again, that would be wishful thinking. Uh, it's not the, the power of positive thinking. Um, it's, it's because that's not authentic faith. That, that real faith is based on real truth. 
that, that it looks deeply at the world God has made. It looks through it, so to speak, and by the grace of God, it sees the glory of God. And it sees it standing forth on all the pages like a 3D image. So now that leaves us just a few moments, just about like 35 to 45 moments, um, to focus on, on the other part of this definition, okay? Um, that, that now faith is the assurance or the substance of things hoped for. And now it, it may be that all this means is that faith is a deep confidence that, uh, that, that the promises of God will come true uh, and we can bank on them. It could mean that. Uh, but, but I think, um, I th- in, a, in fact, I think if that was all that this verse means, that would be enough to free us from fear and greed and worldliness that, that block this kind of radical, risk-taking, sacrificial love that we're called to live out. Uh, but because if we have a strong conviction that God will care for us and, and will bring us to glory and fulfill all of His promises to us forever, then, then we'll be free from self-indulgence and we'll be free for serving others. If we really did believe that all the promises of God were coming true, imagine how loosely we can hold on to all these things that we tend to grasp for when it comes to our own securities and our own identities. But I think, I think this verse, there's something more to it. So, so what could the assurance of things hoped for mean? And I, I think it can mean that faith grasps or it lay holds of God's preciousness so firmly that, that, that in the faith itself there's a substance of the goodness and the sweetness that's promised. That, that faith doesn't create what we hope for. That would be a, a mind game. That faith is a spiritual apprehending or, or perceiving or tasting or, or sensing of the beauty and the sweetness and the preciousness and the goodness of what God promises, especially when it comes to His own fellowship with us, uh, especially when it comes to our enjoyment of Him. So, so faith does not feel confident that this is coming someday. Faith has spiritually laid hold of. It's tasted that it is real. And it means, this means that faith has the assurance of what is hoped for in it. That, that faith's enjoyment of the promise is a kind of substantial down payment for reality that's to come. So we get to live in two different worlds. We get to live in a future promise of glory, and we get to live in a current situation of God's intimate care for us. And that's where faith collides with our own lives. And so, so Swan, we can start wrapping this up. This is, this is what happens when, when the gospel is, is preached, that, that it's, it's what's happening right now, uh, prayerfully in the hearts of, of many of us, that the word of God is spoken. And we get to learn that we don't have to cross our fingers and we don't just have to wish or we don't just have to grit our teeth that, that maybe one day what we believe about Jesus is true. We don't have to feel the need to hedge our bets uh, when it comes to what happens when we die. We don't have to uh, feel the need to, to, to hold on to a life preserver uh, as we reach out for the life that we believe God has for us because 
out there is where faith grows, not here on the shoreline. And so, so when, the God, when the word of God is spoken, and it's broken before us like, like sweet bread, and it's poured out for us uh, like refreshing water, and, and the spiritual taste of your heart is awakened, that's when faith comes alive. When, when we start to love God more than we love anything else, that's when faith really takes off. And now, when I say anything else, I mean even the good things. That, that when you start to love God more than you love your spouse, when you start to love God more than you love your children, when you start to love God more than you love um, the recognition of doing your job well, when, when you start to love God in a way that Christ becomes your identity, not the toys that you have or the things that you do. Okay? That, my friends, is when faith starts to come alive. And so, so faith is this kind of spiritual tasting of what God has promised so that we feel a deep and a substantial assurance of things hoped for. And faith is a, is a kind of, of spiritual seeing of the invisible fingerprints of God and the things that, that He has made by, by, by the one we know God's power and wisdom to make us and by the other we know His goodness and His grace to save us. And so perhaps the best place for us to end is with Psalm 34, verse 8, where the psalmist just comes out as he's trying to encourage you and he's trying to encourage me and he says this oh taste and see that the Lord is good and, and, and he, how blessed is the man who takes refuge in him and so, so again next week we're going to talk about how that faith played itself out and there are, there are a number of different ways that faith plays itself out in our lives. A number. In fact, that will it'll change based on the role that you have and the relationships that you have and the experiences that you have and, and the past that you've had and the future that you're hoping for. How faith will shape itself in differing ways when it comes to the gospel community. But there are certain parts of it that are true for all of us. That faith is rooted in God. Okay? We place our faith anywhere else, eventually that falls apart. Eventually, all of our hope, all of our trust will let us down. And so the writer of Hebrews just comes in and says, okay, you got to lean in. You got to look intently. You got to make sure you're focused because there are there is color and there's chaos all around us. Where do you see the fingerprints of God? Because when we see those fingerprints, then we have something worth investing our time in. Our desire this week is to love God by love you. We wrap up. Let me make a couple things available to you. If you need prayer this morning, we want to pray with you. Um, there, there is a prayer I would like to ask uh, you guys to be praying 
for me on, on a personal level, and this will most definitely be a Debbie Downer moment, so prepare your prayer yourself. A lot of you know I'm, I'm involved in um, uh, CASA work, which is a court-appointed special advocate. Uh, and, and after we adopted our girls, we still wanted to, I still wanted to be actively involved uh, with kids in the foster care system. And so what a CASA worker does is they get to come alongside a kid uh, while they're in care. Uh, and, and basically you get to be their voice in court. Uh, you get to say what you believe is in the best interest of, of a child. And, and we've been, I've been involved for a little over a year now. Um, and so I have, I have two cases, but one of my cases is, is a 16-year-old. I can't tell you too much about his story, but it's rough, uh, and it's sad. Um, and I got an email last night about 1 o'clock in the morning that I saw this morning that he ran away. Uh, and as we, as we sit, <clears throat> we don't know where he is. And, uh, and his foster family's concerned about him. His, uh, his attorney is concerned. His caseworker has been working tirelessly since last night. And there are a lot of stupid reasons for him to run away. Uh, none of them good. And it has to involve with just his own desires and his unwillingness to see and, and to embrace love. Uh, but but I'm, I'm worried about him. Uh, and, and the Bible tells me that, uh, that when it comes to the gospel community, we're to share our burdens uh, with one another. And so if y'all could remember him, I would appreciate it. But if you need prayer this morning, we want to pray with you. If you don't know Jesus this morning, we want, we want to walk with you. I love you guys. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you love us even in uh, these moments when, when we don't understand how to accept that love. Father, I pray you would grow our faith to where we see you do miraculous things and it is undeniably evident that it is you. Father, for my boy, I pray you would keep him safe in this moment, that you would draw him back to his home. That you would place your hedge of, of protection around him. And you would help him understand that it is only you who can rescue him. Father, I thank you for this community that we can pray together, that we can walk alongside one another, and we can honor you in both your word and in our song. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.